Will they do it? St. Paul, Minnesota, authorized by the Ordway Center and serving grades 9 through 12 through the Department of Education. Their aim is to provide the highest caliber of academic and artistic education for pre-professionals in the areas of instrumental and vocal music, theater, and dance, and to fully prepare students for college and conservatory. Brian has been with the school since its inception in the fall of 2005. Prior to his involvement there, Brian spearheaded the 2001 Sally Award-winning Arts Education Program, the Chicago Avenue Project, and taught for seven years at the University of Minnesota, having received his own MFA in theater arts there in 1994. He's directed and performed at theaters all across the United States and lives in the Twin Cities today with his wonderful family. Brian and I sat down in his office one afternoon this summer, and we had a wide-ranging conversation covering a number of topics such as values, his include the necessity of failure, the importance of asking questions, and collaboration over competitivism, as well as a way of establishing your own values. He shares stories from his early education, his beginnings in the world of theater, and his somewhat hilarious introduction to teaching. We talked about integrity, awareness, passion, and even touched on a few practical pieces of information like his number one book recommendation and some of his favorite artists around the Twin Cities. From my perspective, a major theme in the conversation was how Brian felt theater continually pulled him back, as he put it. For those who might be at a loss, considering exactly how to apply yourself and your talents going forward, I would encourage you to reflect on the question that Brian inspired in me Asking, what is it that won't leave me alone? What ideas or circumstances do you keep coming back to? Of course, I absolutely enjoyed spending this time with Brian. I attended SPCPA for four years and graduated there in 2015. He served as a mentor and a role model in my life. I have an enormous amount of respect for the man. I think he's incredibly generous and 
among the most humble of leaders I've ever encountered. I know that he has something of value to offer to everyone listening. That being said, please enjoy my conversation with Brian Gorenson. Alright, here we go. So, uh, we're sitting here, Brian, in your office, and downstairs on the wall, there are values listed that you feel align very closely with your your journey that you've been on throughout life. Can you just recount for us what, what those values are? Sure. And to give you just a little bit of a context, there are values that were created for the school in the school's second year of operation in about 2006-2007. Um, Wendy Lair, the artistic director at the time, myself, I was the theater department chair, Genevieve Bennett, a theater teacher, Maggie Bergeron, a dance instructor, uh, and David Doring, uh, another theater teacher. We sat down and just kind of hammered these values out. And it didn't take us long because really these values that are uh, in big, bold letters on, on in, in our wall downstairs are values that working professional artists bring to the table. And since in uh, the arts program here at SPCPA, all of those teachers are exclusively working professional artists, they're bringing those values with them on a day-to-day basis. We put those values up on the wall, I suppose, not necessarily as a reminder to ourselves, though sometimes we do refer to them when we're in a jam and we say, what do we do? Well, what would the wall tell us to do? Um, We'll go down to the wall and take a look at those values. Um, But most often, they're just to make sure that at the forefront of the school, what we're about and what we believe is right there for everybody to see and transparent in that way. Those values, um, for me, run counter to what I experienced as a public school student. And the first one that I didn't experience as a public school student was that it's our value to uh, sustain interest in uh, the arts as a source of truth and insight into the human condition. So that the arts is not something that's diversionary. The arts isn't something that is necessarily an entertainment or something that um, uh, makes you not think about your life. But the arts is something that um, engages you with who you are and why you're here. It's something that makes you feel alive and not something that anesthetizes you. And so it was very important that we clearly stated that this school is not about necessarily uh, training students to to be in entertainments, although we don't say entertainments are bad. Um, it's fine to be in something that's diversionary um, and great. It's important to forget sometimes. But we wanted to make clear that the kind of work that we were doing in the classroom and that we were doing in, in J-Term and in our performances was art. The, the kinds of things that, that make you, uh, that, 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 that cause you to reflect, that, that ask the great questions. The other value that's down there that um, runs counter to my experience as a, a student in public high school was uh, that here at the school we create an environment where risks may be safely taken. My experience as a high school student was uh, that failure was bad really bad and that you avoid failure at all costs, um, I think that's still a part of traditional public education. In the arts, though, and in our opinion as artists, in, in, in all of life, failure is 
necessary, and repeated failures are uh, often our stepping stones towards successes. And it's uh, this whole thing we're in is a lab. It's a grand experiment, and we're all need to fail. And that's part of the process. And so we really wanted to put it out there that it's it's good to risk and it's necessary to fail. And then the second part of that value is how that artists take responsibility for their visions, so that s- students have ownership over their work. My experience in high school was that um, you did it their way, and that if you did it their way, you were a success. And at SPCPA, it's creating an environment where students are empowered to have their own voice and are given tools to express their own worldview. You know, it's a school for performing arts, so in live performance. One of the other values is that we encourage students to use their physical, sensory, and intellectual selves. When I was a student, it was mostly about my brain, and I was training my mind. And here at SPCPA, we want to put it right out there that your mind and your body and your, we say sensory, your spirit, your soul, your heart, um, whatever word that you choose, that those are all vital components to the whole person. And we're going to experience and, and honor and uphold all of those aspects of ourselves and not just train and exercise the mind but exercise the the body and the spirit as well and then the last part of that value is to explore ideas and raise questions again um, i learned in school that the answer was the ultimate goal and the right answer i should say was the ultimate goal and if you got the wrong answer you got the big red mark on the paper here we really value the question as not only the place to start but just the place to live it's a place that values process and so we're continually asking questions and asking questions and for students who are frustrated because they want to be given answers that may take some adjustment because we're not going to provide a lot of those but we are going to continue to ask questions and that fosters a kind of curiosity I think and an ongoing curiosity that sometimes traditional education um, with its uh, here's the right answer and the wrong answer, and the um, you can check the back of the teacher's manual to figure out uh, where you fall. <laughs> Doesn't often encourage. Um, and then our last value is about promoting um, individual discovery, but within a collaborative spirit. I found my experience at uh, public high school one that it, it really honored competitivism. Right when you walk in the school, there are slews of trophies behind glass honoring uh, individual accomplishments, honoring team accomplishments, honoring um, victory. The system itself, um, due to the nature of grades and class rank, tends to pit students against each other. And then, you know, you'll use the high school experience to determine where you rank at the end of your four years. And then here at SPCPA, it's really... The idea was we wanted to say right up front again, this is an environment in which we, on a daily basis, we train in a discipline that uh, requires us to hold each other up for the, the good of a collective performance. We need each other to make the work that we're making here, be it a play or an instrumental ensemble or a dance piece or, 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 or a vocal ensemble. We need to hold each other up. We need to support each other. We need to know how to push each other in a way that's responsible. 
and in a way that is uh, helpful. To another degree, my experience in high school was not collaborative just in the school as a whole in the sense that it was very compartmentalized. You had uh, had the jocks, and you had the really smart people, and you had the band people, Hmm. and you had uh, the cheerleaders, and you had the people who, uh, in my day, we called them fries, and they were out in the parking lots, uh, you know, engaging in whatever uh, illegal activity, maybe. And um, uh, you had all these sort of compartmentalized factions and uh, a lot of students don't want that kind of high school experience. And what we say here at SBCPA is, you may have your own track, but even across tracks, we're all engaged in how do you make a collaborative live performance piece work? A live performance piece that is here in the moment and gone and is something that's ephemeral, and how do you make that work? And you make it work by holding each other up. And so what was it that first sparked your curiosity and started to draw you away from the, the ways of thinking that a traditional public school model had, had given you or Boy, perhaps tough. imposed on you? I mean, it, it's hard to pinpoint it, I suppose, life experience. I suppose just as I engaged in the work. I mean, I, I, I continued to... Well, actually, after leaving high school, I'd done a lot of theater in high school, and... Um, when I went to college, I, I decided to give it up. But then there was a poster on the wall that said Antigone auditions this way. And I showed up the next day, even though I said I had given it up. And then it pulled me back. That's been kind of the story. I, I, I continually try to leave, and it just says, no, you can't. It's kind of that Old Testament who's hiding, prophet who's hiding behind the rock. Mm-hmm. You know, and God says, uh, go to Nineveh or wherever. And the prophet's like, no, no, I can't. I don't want to. It sucks. And um, it's hard, and it's and I'm, I'll be poor. And um, it just keeps making me do it. So what drew me to those values? Just uh, uh, life experience over and over. It was I don't even think it was until years later. I just sort of intuitively at the time knew that I'm not satisfied with this experience that I received. It was good in a lot of ways that it's a good high school, but something about it is rubbing me the wrong way. And I think what was rubbing me the wrong way was that these foundational core worldview value kinds of things weren't in alignment with what I was looking for and, and felt I needed. And so I probably just kept gravitating toward the arts because they naturally held the, those values that I, I, I was looking for. And over time, repeatedly engaging in the arts, it, it, it taught me how to articulate why I kept wanting to go back to them, maybe. So you ended up at the University of Minnesota in the MFA program for theater arts, mm-hmm. but you'd had an experience in college before before that. Could you could you tell us a little bit about that experience mm-hmm. in Oklahoma? I believe you said it was. Mm-hmm. It was a long time ago. Um, I think it was 1984. I spent one ill-fated year at Oral Roberts University. At the end of that year, I was done. I went too quickly from high school to college. I probably should have taken a little bit of time off upon reflection, but I think what happens to us all happens the way it should go. And so I I, kind of bummed around (laughs) Tulsa, Oklahoma, of all places, 
for a little while, and I wound up auditioning for the play Amadeus through a junior college. And the idea was is that if if you got in the play, you would then have to sign up for a class, which then made you eligible to be in the play. So I was in Amadeus, so I had to sign up for an acting class, which made me eligible to be on stage in Amadeus. And um, there are not there's not a lot of theater in Oklahoma. Sure, there are, there's some, but there's not a lot of theater. There's not a lot of dance. There's there's a little bit of music. And so when I got to this class as a 19-year-old, after having left Oral Roberts University, my years of experience in high school, and I had done a little in the community as a high school student, um, I had much more experience than any other student in the classroom. And I had an instructor uh, at the junior college at that time who was, I think, a little tired of being in the position. And so I showed up at his office one day, and, and he asked me if... I would teach his class. So I said, sure. So I started off uh, probably about once every other week. It went well. It went pretty well. I enjoyed it. And so by the time, uh, two years later, I had probably, I was teaching his class about once a week, maybe sometimes even a little bit more, and I was directing a number of the shows there at the college, which is just great life experience. And again, it just kind of fell into my lap. But I had a real passion for I mean, I wanted to be on stage. I wanted to be in theater. I wanted to be around it. And I would just find opportunities. And I, it just seemed to be the right one for me at that particular time. And I ended up writing a play that won an award. I think it was called the David Library Awards. It's through the Lincoln Center in Washington, D.C. Wow. I got a scholarship to another school in Oklahoma, um, Northeastern State University, a small four-year college with probably about 35 theater majors and um, with uh, a couple of really great theater professors, one in particular, who had a real passion for the work, and they did real good work. And uh, it was the perfect place for me because uh, had I gone to a big school with lots of students, I wouldn't have nearly gotten as many experiences and as well around. I mean, I was designing lights. I was designing sets. I was running lights. I was building sets. I was acting. I was given the opportunity to direct. And it was exactly what I needed. So I used that play that I wrote then and that got me the scholarship at that school. Finished up the deal and then um, came back to Minnesota for uh, to the University of Minnesota in the grad program. And it was the only graduate program that I auditioned for. And I didn't get in. Initially, I was on the waiting list. And then I said, well, I guess I'm not going to do it. But there, you know, someone came out and said, okay, you're going to have to do it. Here, you got to come back to the theater. And I got a call probably in, uh, or just before the summer started, very early June, saying, guess what? A slot opened up, and you're, you're in the U of M MFA uh, Guthrie Theater training program. Wow. So it was cool, and that was fabulous. I got to work with a lot of great people in graduate school and met a lot of local folks through my time in the grad program there at the U. And as for your professional career, did you were you acting while you were attending school, or did that start afterwards? Was there some transition period between when you started acting and directing in the cities? Yeah, you know, when I was in Oklahoma, I actually did some professional acting. They had a dinner theater okay. there, and I remember I, I, I was in the play Butterflies Are Free, which is about, uh, it's a 60s play. Um, it's not too bad. Um, and I, was, I played a blind guy. 
And uh, you can look up Butterflies Are Free. And you probably Gaslight Dinner Theater, Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> in, uh, in the 80s. I was in another play there called, I think, Key Exchange? Key? Ah, Gaslight Dinner Theater. I did some other summer uh, professional work in Oklahoma and... I think every summer I did professional work. One summer I did a show. This was when I was at Northeastern State University. I went with Joe Sears. He wrote a play called Greater Tuna. And Greater Tuna, it was on it was on Broadway for a while. We went to Cody, Wyoming and Jackson Hole, Wyoming and just outside Yellowstone and, and the Grand Tetons and did a show there for summer with a lot of really great professional musicians from Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. So every summer I did did some professional theater work, and then when I was in graduate school, it was it impossible. I mean, my I, you're in the cave, you know. I was in my training, and uh, I started working professionally after graduate school. And can you give us some sort of insight into how you? landed some of these jobs that you did because I mean you've worked all over the Twin Cities at a number of theaters the Guthrie you remember a Pillsbury House theater for a while uh-huh. a lot of places around town just for for those of us looking to learn a way to navigate the 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 path in in connecting a passion for art and the business side of things putting that passion to work uh-huh. do you uh, you have any s- stories you can share well let me think let me reflect on that a little bit I mean it's interesting I've never been that's never been something that was a skill set of mine self-promotion okay and and but I'll, I can at least reflect a little bit on how it's worked for me okay and maybe Perfect. that will um, shine some light on it um, I I was I was moved a little bit at our recently we just had a graduation ceremony at the O'Shaughnessy at St. Kate's at, here at SPCPA and Michelle Hensley uh, the artistic director of 10,000 Things Theater Company was our commencement speaker and she said something that I, I, I found to be very true in my life and she said uh, to the student body she said you know what stop worrying about the logistics of how to move on to your next thing you don't necessarily always have to think about how to be a self-promoter or, or, or the business side of things. She said, uh, make sure you have a clear set of core values for yourself. A clear set of values. And I I wish I could remember hers, but I, I know she mentioned kindness, generosity. She said, if you have this set of core values, and if you really make sure that you live your life in a place of awareness so that all of the conscious decisions that you are making are aligned with your core values, that will chart your course. Your path will reveal itself for you. And I believe, unconsciously, maybe that's just what's happened for me, is that I I did have a set of core values that maybe I didn't write down in a journal or, or, but I, I, I reflected on daily and I didn't call them core values or anything. I just thought about them. And all, I've always been the kind of person who it's important, you know, it's important to have integrity. And so I would live by the things that I thought about as best I could. Because everything that's happened to me has just been, 
been that kind of thing where it's pulled me back into the experience. Upon leaving graduate school, I, I was I, I did go over to the Guthrie for a couple of shows, and that was nice to get that experience and to get my equity card. How did I get that experience? Well, I, f- I got lucky and got that call in the summer to get to graduate school <laughs> four years earlier. After I left the Guthrie, I had quite a few months where I was floundering. I was living with my brother in just a ratty apartment in Bloomington uh, near the Mall of America, which uh, uh, that structure and what's inside of it probably conflicts with my core values more than about any other <laughs> structure or place I can I can think of right now off the top of my head. And uh, uh, so here I am uh, in the shadow of the Mall of America, living in near poverty with my brother for number of months going what am I going to do I get a temp job I barely make rent what am I going to do and then I I got a call out of the blue I don't know how she found my phone number I even asked how she found my phone number she didn't know how she found my phone number and she said we'd like you to come to an audition at Pillsbury House Theater for the play extremities it was Noel Raymond uh, who was the managing director at the time Ralph Remington was the artistic director and Noel was uh, at the University of Minnesota in the grad program there two years ahead of me. And so she had known me a little bit while we were in graduate school. And somehow she had thought of me as a person who might fit that role. And when I got this call for this audition, I said, this is it. I, I either get in the show or I just, you know, who knows. I'll just spiral down into, <laughs> and you know, waste waste away. Uh, uh, it can feel like that sometimes in, in the yeah. back alley here in Bloomington. And I spent the next couple of weeks sleeping with the script. I had it in my back pocket. I I, I knew the play upwards, backwards, sideways, and forwards by the time I went into the audition. And it wasn't even to get the part. It was. I had six months of not doing anything and not engaging in work. And I was like, well, at least I will have done the work. And uh, I, so I went into this audition, and I, I just, it was, I was really grounded. And they did not let me leave the theater that night. <laughs> they sat me down in the second row, and they said, we'd like you to play this part. And I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. And it was an equity gig, so I was like, fabulous. It was one of those times in my life where I ate, slept, breathed that play and that role. And then I stayed on as a company member. Again, what did I do to get that? I don't know. I did have a passion for the work. Mm -hmm. I want to shift gears a little bit here. I know we're coming up on the end of our time, but it seems like Wendy Lair has been a very a very influential figure in your life. Can you just speak on the importance of having a mentor and possibly the qualities that um, young people in particular should look for in, in that sort of relationship? I, I mean, I think it's vital. I think that everything we do comes from something. It comes out of something. And so knowing our history as people, knowing our community's history, 
knowing the people in the community who have built the institutions that now are in the community, that's huge. I, 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 I mean, here's Wendy Lair. You are uh, a, you know, a pillar <laughs> in the Twin Cities and have contributed in so many ways. And I, I, I guess there's, I, I, can, I could go on endlessly about what struck me about her, her generosity, the sense that she was not doing anything for personal gain. She was there to serve. It was, and it was authentic. It, it, it was, here's how I'm going to contribute today to um, uh, making this place better, making your life better. And so in terms of finding someone who can be a good mentor, that's important, I think. The mentor is not in it for themselves. Mm-hmm. The mentor is, is really someone who who wants to give. It's intuitive. You're going to know. You're going to meet and sit down with a person and go, this person's generous. I loved how uh, she did not see deficiencies. She just saw opportunities. And so in people, everybody's got things that they're good at and things that are challenges. And she was just so gifted at um, uh, quickly identifying the things that are the, that they're good at and, and playing towards those strengths and creating an environment where those strengths were allowed to flourish. That's a great quality for a mentor, right? Definitely. <laughs> oh, definitely. Seeing the things in you that that are opportunities. Um, but yet at the same time, she also had that ability to ask the question that will allow you to see your own blind spot without it coming from a place of judgment. Hmm. And so uh, a mentor who, who is um, non-judgmental, because you start getting into that judgment area, and it's hard to make things. It's hard to to create um when judgment is present. And to wrap up with a a couple of quick questions, are there any particular books or documentaries that have greatly influenced you in your life that you think other people could draw from? I have one off the top of my head, so it must be the one that I'm supposed to say. Okay. Um, And I've actually given this one out to a couple people here at school. Beautiful. Stephen Mitchell's translation of the Tao Te Ching. Hmm. My first six months here at SPCPA, I was going to leave. I I couldn't figure out how to do the high school version of what I was doing in college. And uh, I read that translation um, in one night. You can read it in in an hour. And then over the course of the next week, I probably read it 20 times. And I learned more about what it means to be a teacher, what it means to be an actor, what it means to be a director, an artist, a person, from how that book allows you the space to reflect upon how to do those things than any other acting textbook hmm. I ever read. Yeah. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's really, I think he calls it a version, Stephen Mitchell's version okay. of the Tao Te Ching. I don't think it's a direct word-for-word translation. It's, I mean, it, but but it's it's really, uh, interestingly, um, Wendy Lair always used to say, oh, God, that's brilliant. That book is brilliant. I, I would recommend that above all else. Perfect. I'm quite familiar with that book as well, and it seems like it has such a high level of applicability. Wherever I am in my life, 
there's there's always something there. Every every verse in it, it seems like it can apply just tremendously to my own situation. It really is it's one of amazing. those yeah. texts that um, evolves as you evolve. It grows with you. I suppose Shakespeare is kind of that way too. I mean, um, it really does. Hmm. Yeah. And lastly, you you are obviously doing some fantastic work here with the school, bringing people together in the way that you do. Who else in the community, whether that's an artist, a company, an organization, who else do you think is doing great work today? Oh, God, I think there's so many, and I'm going to forget some. I mean, there's so many. I mentioned Michelle Hensley. Yeah. Um, there's someone that... Um, uh, lives uh, those values and um, it's their life it's their work there's no separation between their life and their work it's mm-hmm. all the same mm-hmm. I, you know she's one that immediately comes to mind um, oh god there's you know a lot of it there's a lot of great new folks in town now that are working and just doing really exciting work um, I mean, I know you know, but I'm a, a huge fan of John Ferguson's. Oh, I just definitely. think he does uh, really generous work, and I, it's uh, it's work that um, I don't know if you ever had a uh, worked with John, but um, when the work is happening, it, there's an astounding lack of ego in the work and mm-hmm. the room. It's really refreshing. And the work is just very open and invites you into it in a way that I think is really compelling. Are you talking about theater? Anything, folks? anything. Um, well, I really like those zeitgeist folks down the street. Okay. Um, oh, God. I mean, there are a number of uh, theater companies in town that have stood the test of time mm-hmm. that uh, are, are great. I left Pillsbury House Theater in two thousand. One, I think, after the Second Angels in America, but they just continue to do really fabulous work that's mission, vision, values-driven. And uh, they work with uh, people who are just curious and passionate, and um, it's about the work. Hmm. All right, well, that's a few right there for people to check out. It looks like that's all we've got for today, but thank you thank you for the time and the conversation, and hopefully it shouldn't be too long before the next one. All right, thanks, Chance. All right. That's episode one. Just a few things before you take off. First and foremost, huge thank you to Brian Gorenson for being on the show. Show him some love on social media. If you'd like to learn more about St. Paul Conservatory for Performing Artists, you can visit them at spcpa.org. Enormous thank you to Josh Johnson for permission to use the song Vibrations in our opening sequence. It's by Willie G, Josh the Classic, and Christopher Berg. You can find that and more on SoundCloud. If you've enjoyed this podcast or found use from it, there are a number of ways you can support it. Best of all, I believe, is word of mouth. Share it with someone you're close to, someone you're acquainted with, anyone of your choosing. You can share it on social media. You can send me feedback directly at Chance by Chance on Facebook. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>